I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Happy Pride. Well, it's been 45 years since that first Pride Parade marched through the streets of downtown New York back in 1970. And now that parade route is one of the longest in the world at three miles. But it will be another 97 years before Russian law will allow a march like this to happen in Moscow. Last year, 4.5 million people celebrated Pride in Sao Paulo, 2 million in New York, and 1.2 million in Madrid. Pride marches marched in India, Uganda, Jamaica, Amritas, despite the fact that homosexuality is illegal today. Last year at World Pride in Toronto, 115 couples were married at a mass marriage ceremony. And now this year, we can celebrate marriage equality nationwide with this week's landmark Supreme Court decision. Tonight we celebrate Pride with three stories, one about history, one about our community, and another about giving. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, June 28th, 2015. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. New York City's Landmark Commission voted last Tuesday to grant official status to the Stonewall Inn, the Greenwich Village Bar often credited as the birthplace of the modern LGBT rights movement. The Associated Press reported that the vote was unanimous. It marks the first time any site in New York City has been designated as a landmark because of its significance in LGBT history. A police raid at the Stonewall Inn on June 28, 1969, met with opposition and led to a spontaneous week-long uprising that is commemorated in gay pride parades like the one we celebrated today in San Francisco. The original Stonewall Inn at 5153 Christopher Street was located in what were originally two stables built in the 1840s and rebuilt in 1930. When Stonewall opened as a gay bar in 1967, it had an unmarked exterior except for a large, rusty, broken neon sign reading Stonewall Inn, left by the previous tenant. The original bar was a mafia-owned operation and had no running water, just a tub for washing out used glasses. Landmark status will help prevent the building from being changed in the future. And also in New York, the Museum of Modern Art just acquired the original rainbow flag designed by artist Gilbert Baker, formerly of San Francisco. Back in 1978, Baker used the sewing skills he developed as a local drag queen and the help of 30 volunteers to make the first two rainbow flags, which were hung at the Gay Community Center in San Francisco. And finally, here in California, a judge ruled against a proposed ballot initiative authorizing the execution of gay and lesbian people, calling the suggested measure unconstitutional on its face. The proposed Sodomite Suppression Act calls for, quote, any person who willingly touches another person of the same gender for the purposes of sexual gratification be put to death by bullets to the head or by any other convenient method, end quote. The measure would also outlaw advocating for gay rights to minors, punishable by 10 years in prison and permanent expulsion from California. The judge said, quote, the proposed initiative is patently unconstitutional on its face. Any preparation and official issuance of a circulating title and summary for the act by the attorney general would be inappropriate, a waste of public resources, and generate unnecessary division among the public. Now here's your calendar events for the coming week. 
On Monday, June 29th, and every Monday at 5.30 p.m., the Petaluma Health Center will host an LGBT support group at 1179 North McDowell Boulevard in Petaluma. And on Tuesday, June 30th at 10 a.m., the Napa LGBT Older Adults Discussion Group will gather at the Queen of the Valley Community Center, 3448 Villa Lane in Napa. And on Thursday, June 8th at 4 p.m., the LGBT Seniors Tea Dance and Mixer will happen at Rossi's Smokehouse and Dance Hall, 401 Grove Street in Sonoma. This is a party hosted by Spectrum and Sonoma Valley LGBT Seniors. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at OutbeatNews.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Morelia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Tonight we begin with a local group of lesbian women and gay men who have come together to form a giving circle for the purposes of funding local efforts to make Sonoma County a better place for LGBT people. Here to tell us more about this new source of generosity is Kina Crocker, Jay Molino, and Naomi Metz. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having us. Well, it's really exciting to have you here and to find out all about the Giving Circle. So tell us about it. How did it come to be? I moved up here about seven years ago from the city, and I work at the Community Foundation. And it was uh, actually the year was 2008, so it was the year of no on eight. And I, one of the, two of the people I met early on were the two co-chairs of that campaign, and they talked about what a struggle it was to connect with the LGBT community in Sonoma County because there wasn't there, it wasn't very organized. And um, and then I became aware of this giving circle concept through the Community Foundation. It's uh, it's a concept that's very similar to community foundations to get people more involved in giving and philanthropy. So I always had always wanted to do it, and then um, I started thinking about who I could kind of reach out to and hand select to join a steering committee. And Naomi was one of the first people I reached out to. And we'd kind of talked about giving in the past and how generous the LGBT community was, but how little we were actually giving to our own community. So Mm -hmm. I met with Naomi and she loved the idea. And then we found a co-chair and built a steering committee from there. Wow. So tell us a little bit about the concept, though, for those people who've never heard of a giving circle. I mean, what exactly is it? Well, um, a giving, so in this context, the giving circle is a pooled fund. And, um, as a steering committee, we set a minimum, um, annual membership for each person who wants to join. In our case, it's $500 per year. And the idea is that, um, we are going to use the sort of goal of the, from the philanthropic side of this is that we are going to be able to pool our $500 donations into much larger and therefore presumably more effective grants that we can make to the community. Mm. In our case, the Giving Circle, though, also has two other really important, in addition to the philanthropic piece, we also decided that it would have two other really important um, sort of components. One of them is the social component, which in large part because of what Jay was talking about, that we, we feel like one of the things that the community wants here in Sonoma County is a way to connect with each other um, and also to connect as an LGBT community with the broader community in Sonoma County, with the non-LGBT specific community in Sonoma County. And so um, the second piece was 
<clears throat> excuse me, a social piece and just sort of being able to create that network and the connections um, within the community. And the third piece is it, um, an educational piece because we also feel like one of the reasons that we may not be as good at giving to our own organizations here in the LGBT community is because folks don't know a lot about what there is to fund, what organizations exist, what the needs are. And so now we have, um, we, so those were the, those are the three main components of the giving circle. And, um, since we started soliciting members last April, um, we ended our first year of membership. Our first membership is a hundred and we have 103 members. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is so awesome. We, cause as a steering committee, we thought ultimately that would sort of be our goal would to be around a hundred members so that we could be granting out somewhere around $50,000 and, um, and, but we weren't really convinced that we would make that in the first year. And we have, we've, it's had such an incredible response. People have been super interested in joining. And so now we're at 103 members. That's, and that's, that's great. Yeah, that's terrific. So yeah. tell us, tell us about some of the people that, that stepped up and became part of this giving circle and maybe a little bit about their backgrounds. I mean, it would be hard to go through the entire list of 100. It's pretty impressive. But uh, tell us about some of the folks you can think of. Well, we, um, well, first I'll, I'll let you know that the way that we got to, you know, the 103 members is first by word of mouth. There was no real, um, marketing of the group. Um, it was just tell us who, you know, um, and let's find these people and get them together. So we had a series of house parties last year. There were three of them. Um, and in, at those, uh, house parties, the steering committee stood in front of the group and, and explained exactly what Jay and Naomi have talked about today, that, that they had a vision that the community could, could get together and do some real good for the community. So after those uh, house parties, then there was um, what we called a mapping event that happened last November, where the entire membership was invited to sit down in a room um, with big pieces of white paper on the walls and really have a good discussion about what they feel like the community needs. Um, what are the existing programs in the community that help our our people um, and what are the gaps and what are the um, programs that are needed. Uh, and three really big themes emerged from that mapping meeting that people generally, they wanted to be more connected. And the three um, areas that came out of that meeting were focusing on LGBTQI youth, um, focusing on our um, LGBTQI seniors, and then also on community building. Mm. And from those three, um, we had educational forums uh, where we had experts on those three topics come and speak to the membership about what exists right now in our county, what is going on, what do we need. Um, and even at the youth forum, we had actual youth in the room telling us what their experiences were. Um, and a big thank you to the Fountain Grove Lodge and um, Petsy King for being sponsors of all of our forums. We've had great support from them as well. Great organizations for sure. So talk about how you're planning to engage this membership now moving forward. Well, we've shifted into our grant mode now, and um, we've continued to get feedback from the membership throughout this process. After each forum, we did survey monkeys and we got feedback from the membership and then the steering committee got together and we've been able to take that information now and create an actual application process and create criteria for the application. So we're going to start planning a series of house parties again for the summer to start our recruitment again. But 
We want to wrap up our first year, which will end with some grant making. So we're at the application stage right now. Wow, really exciting. And you talked about some broad goals in terms of supporting youth and seniors and community. But, you know, as you think about organizations that you hope will apply, who comes to mind? Well, that's the most fascinating part of this process because we realize that in many cases, we're just starting a conversation. Um, there are not a lot of organizations that are focused specifically on uh, the LGBTQI community here, but we have a lot of um, a lot of allies and a lot of uh, interested social service providers, but no one's really ever asked them, hey, what are you doing for the LGBTQI community? So um, we had some people into the forums to speak to us, as Naomi mentioned, but then the, the membership has been telling us who they think uh, might be out there that might be interested and it can be somebody who's already working with the LGBTQI community or anyone that wants to be doing something for the community. There are many um, partners out there with great programs. They just never really thought about marketing them specifically to the LGBT community or, or thinking about our needs specifically. Mm-hmm. So, does it, so it sounds like an individual could apply. Do they have to have their own sort of nonprofit status officially or could, let's say, a group uh, from a high school, a student group that wanted to do a project, could they apply? It's a great question, Greg. Um, yeah, you, it, the organizations do have to be a 501c3. This fund is housed at the Community Foundation, so it's being held there. That's where I work, and um, so we're taking care of all the fiscal management of the fund and also, we're grant makers, so we'll be able to help the group when they're ready to make grants. We'll be able to make those grants on their behalf. So it's pretty. We wanted to keep it simple because we realize, you know, how much work is involved for nonprofits. Um, it's a two. It's like a you know just a two-page application with a budget, uh, very very brief. Um, and we in, in the application itself, you know, anyone that's interested in, in applying for a grant. Um, would contact me. We'll give you that contact information at the end here. Um, and we're happy to email them the application. It's all online. They fill out the application form and they get it back to me. We will get out. The, the really exciting part about this is that um, that we will get out the applications to every member of the giving circle. So even though we may not be able to fund everything, the applications will be read by 103 members. So we're hoping that some of these nonprofits may get direct support from our membership, you know, know, outside of the giving circle itself. One of the things that will happen, we're hoping, is that our members will learn about an organization or an issue that they're particularly interested in or that calls, you know, calls out to them particularly, and that they, in addition to participating and supporting that issue through their donation to the giving circle, they may also be willing to or interested in supporting that or that issue or a particular organization outside of this with their own additional funding or getting, you know, a couple of the members together to do some additional funding of a particular organization or a particular on a particular issue. How can people get involved? Uh, is there a limit on members? No, we don't have a limit on members. <laughs> not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> okay. No, we don't see that. Um, but the best way to get involved is um, to contact Jay at the Community Foundation. Um, I'm giving out his phone number, which is 707-303-9620. Um, and people can also find him, uh, find his email on the Community Foundation's website. His name is Jay Molino. And um, 
contact Jay and Jay will get you connected and um, give you more information about um, the house parties that are coming up so that people who are still unsure of what the Giving Circle is about can come to the house parties, hear from uh, the steering committee and uh, current members about their experience with the Giving Circle thus far, um, and then uh, become a member that way. Fantastic. And is there a website for your specific Giving Circle organization? Not yeah. specifically for the Giving Circle, it's, um, but if, if, you know, they, I can be found at the Community Foundation website at um, sonomacf.org. Um, one thing I wanted to say, Greg, is that there's a nice mixture of men and women in this group, which is really, we've, it did, we didn't plan it that way, it's just worked out that way. Um, I think that's so we're, there's lots of great interaction there. Most of our membership, it, we're a little older because we have a lot of retirees, but we also have a lot of weekenders. That's why we always have our meetings on Saturdays, because a lot of our members don't live here yet. They're planning on living here at some point. That's why they're involved with us. They want to learn more about their future community. So it's a great membership. Well, if you missed that website, we will put the website and the phone number on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Jay Molyneux, Naomi Metz, and Kina Crocker, thank you for stepping up and for putting this Giving Circle together. I know that there will be many great organizations here in Sonoma County that will benefit. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. We need a change. Yeah. Do it today. Yeah. I can feel my spirit rising. Yeah. The LGBT community has always been at the forefront of social networking and making use of social media for communication and entertainment. Over the years, Hear Media has been the premier source of all kinds of LGBT media, including the brand new interactive site appropriately called Pride.com. Here to share more about this new site is the editor-in-chief of Pride.com, Levi Chambers. Levi, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And we're excited to have you. Before we get in talking about Pride.com, this very exciting new website, tell us a little bit about Here Media for our listeners that may not be familiar with really the scope of coverage and publication that you provide. Yeah, uh, Here Media uh, operates publications like Out Magazine and The Advocate. But in addition to that, we are an LGBT media company and one of the largest in the world. We produce and distribute content focused primarily on LGBT consumers and audiences um, across a multi-platform network that uh, includes television and video on demand, online, print, mobile applications. We're sort of everywhere in the LGBT space. That's fantastic. And we've had... Uh, different editors from Ad the Advocate uh, on our show over the years. So it's great to now talk about this new website, Pride.com. Tell us about it. So Pride.com is it's ultimately for equality-minded 20-somethings with an interest in seeing content through an LGBT lens. We might publish content that is somewhat mainstream, but our difference would be the perspective that we bring to it is very much an, a queer perspective. The launch of Pride really symbolizes uh, the company, Here Media's reach to millennials. And I think it really complements our other brands like Out and Advocate and, and brings in a demographic that we may not have been able to um, provide content to in the same way before Pride.com. Sure. Well, I think particularly young people are moving away from 
certainly print publications, but sort of that traditional news magazine format, something that's a little more exciting. Uh, so tell us some of the, the features of Pride.com and how it's different from the other sites that are out there. You know, the most important aspect of Pride is the diversity of its writers and its contributors. We, we leverage content creators from a variety of different backgrounds and locations, even um, internationally, to help us create a really accurate representation of LGBT life and to report on content that may be news from a, a variety of different perspectives. In addition, Pride was developed uh, by LiveFire, and it's powered by the LiveFire Studio, um, it uses real-time interactions to kind of help us shape and focus our, our stories around real conversations online. Readers can log in through their Facebook, their Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Google+, and comment right into the story using like a thought bubble. So at the end of a paragraph, if they really liked what was said in that paragraph, they can add a comment right there, which kind of creates a, a communal reading experience um, in addition to that, it's it's really a, a unique site in terms of its features and the way you can share content. Uh, one of the most important and really, really cool features that it has, it's my favorite, is a highlight to share. So if there's a quote from an interview that you really, really like, you can highlight that quote and immediately share it on Twitter and Facebook, and it goes with the link and, and Pride's handle on whichever platform it's on. So it has a lot of really cool features, um, and some of them aren't actually out yet, and they're kind of coming in our next phase as Pride is still in its beta version. Well, that's really exciting. And I really like what you're talking about in terms of being able to cope, you know, comment on a paragraph or to highlight you know, a segment of a piece, very different from the traditional comment box at the bottom of an article where you know, people sometimes go on rants. Yeah. And you know, we obviously still have social sync, so you can comment at the end of the article, just like you would on any other website. But we wanted to add... Uh, another opportunity to add your voice to the site that was different and, and you sure. kind of had to learn how to use it. So yeah, we, we offer all of those traditional ways of interacting, but also some, some fun new ways. Very cool. Very cool. So you talked about having a pretty diverse staff of contributors. Talk a little bit more about how the content is selected for the site. Yeah, because Pride is, we really dedicated it to a, a broad community. So we have to focus on balancing our editorial calendar to include content for LGBTQ and A. It's, it's crucial to us that, that we're delivering on the expectations of our entire audience all the time without alienating anyone. And that can be kind of tricky because we're really trying to be a space for everyone. And sometimes, you know, the content maybe that's, that's focused more on the trans community is very different from what would be focused on the gay community. But we have to find ways to make it all complement each other and, and that it represents the community fairly and accurately all the time. So that, that's kind of our, our process when we're thinking about what we're going to publish today. We have to make sure that we're publishing some content for everyone. So is there a, a team that's dedicated to this or, or do you have a collection of freelancers from around the world or how did you put this, this staff together? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's actually both, really. We do have a team of, you know, full-time staff that's here in the office, and we're, we're creating content and, and having, we meet every morning and talk about what's trending on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr, and right then we'll start creating, uh, they're basically our trending stories for the day based on things that are happening now. 
And then we work with our freelance team who are, they are all over the world and it's in video, photography, and then also written content or editorial. We work with them to um, kind of shape the rest of our content for those specific days. Uh, it's been, it's really collaborative and, and unique process because our writers are everywhere from the, U- the United Kingdom to you know, Atlanta, they're everywhere and, and creating content on a variety of different uh, mediums. So it's really, it's really different than anything else I've worked on. Interesting. And, and there are so many individuals out there that have sort of launched their own, I'll call them amateur careers, but that are evolving into professional writing careers uh, and video blogging careers on YouTube and other, and other sites. So if somebody wanted to contribute, uh, one of your new viewers is looking at the site and says, hey, I've got something I want to contribute. Is there a way to do that? Absolutely. Uh, through Pride's hamburger menu, there is a contact us button, more or less. And uh, when you go there, it, it lets you know exactly how to contribute stories or video or photos or whatever it is you'd like to submit. But I really like leveraging social media. And I've had a lot of, of people reach out to us via Twitter and Facebook saying, hey, I have a story for your first person section, which is our opinion section. So we encourage people to submit really in any way that they can reach us. If you can reach us on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook, please do and you know, follow us. Send us a direct message. We'll follow you and, and we'll you know, talk about whatever it is you'd like to see on the site. And then our editors can reach out and work with those individuals to, to get it published. Fantastic. Well, Outbeat Radio News will have to be one of those links that we send you. Uh, talk about accessing the site. Uh, if, you're, if you're targeting young people, obviously you're going to be looking at having to provide a an environment that is adaptable to a variety of mobile devices. Uh, tell us about that. Is it something that's really better viewed through a, a traditional browser, or if I pick up my iPhone, am I going to have a similar experience? You're definitely going to have a similar experience. The site is responsively designed, so um, it's it's not that it's adapting to the screen size. It's that it literally changes to fit any screen size perfectly. And with it, the user experience changes and shifts to accommodate those platforms. So on desktop, you might access our media walls and you'd scroll through them to see all the photos. While on mobile, you'll swipe through them to see all the photos. So it, it really functions beautifully on desktop, mobile, and tablet. Um, we've, we see a lot of, of traffic coming from a mobile device and Pride was definitely designed with mobile in mind. We wanted the content to be accessible uh, to anyone regardless of where they were in their day. So if they're you know on the bus on the way across town, they can access it and read the stories and interact in the exact same way they would if they were on desktop or on tablet. So it, it is fully responsive and, and really coming together nicely. I cannot wait for us to launch the full version of the site because I think people will be really impressed with it. Talk about LGBT youth. You, talk, you, you mentioned earlier that, that the site's really targeted primarily for millennials, but I'm sure everybody's going to find something there. Uh, what about LGBT teens? So Pride offers a unique space in comparison to our other brands. Um, it's, it's safe and it's available anywhere. And it's really focused on those younger, um, younger people. It's designed for them to help you know, make friends, share their stories, find support. Whereas Advocate and Out, for example, are kind of created in the mindset that you've, you're maybe already out to your family and you're living your life you know, the way you'd like to live it, whereas Pride is is kind of an introductory brand in a lot of ways. And we want it to feel like a space where you can maybe find yourself or find other like-minded people. Um, 
we, we definitely consider Pride to be a social entertainment network where we're talking about really fun things and it, it's focused on those forward-thinking millennials. But it, it should give people the tools they need to amplify their digital voices, raise their social profiles, connect with other people, and then lead inspiring conversations fueled by that entertainment content. Um, I've, we've actually been, uh, had a couple of people reach out to us that had really great stories about three days after we launched um, someone from North Carolina reached out and shared their story about uh, coming out as trans and the challenges that they're facing. And it really, it kind of hit us here at the editorial team because the site was, you know, a few days old, really. It, it had launched on that Thursday. And by Monday, people were reaching out and asking for support. So it, it definitely uh, taught us that there is a need for that mm-hmm. and that Pride had already achieved that in just a few days. Yeah. Um, does it cost anything? Is there a subscription fee to access the site? No, absolutely. No, it's free to everyone. And so somebody has to pay for it. And I'm sure that there are opportunities for LGBT businesses to advertise on the site. Talk a little bit about how you're handling that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we offer a range of traditional advertising opportunities as well as newer products like native content and media walls that integrate with, with social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, we're trying to create an advertising model that is different than you know traditional advertising with display ads. We really hope that our native pieces are exciting and entertaining, and that people want to read them, so that it's not you know intrusive and taking over your your experience on the site. That's that's really critical. Um, and in, in addition, everything on the site is scalable for you know national or local businesses. So. If you, for example, are, let's say you're an event in Los Angeles, we could create an advertising um, offerings that are targeted within a 15-mile radius of that and would be live. That's really cool. So you don't have to be a huge business to get involved. If you're a small business here, let's say in Sonoma County, and you want to advertise just regionally, perhaps about an event or just something about your business, that's a possibility. Absolutely. We offer partnerships, and we, we do a lot of them with um smaller companies or local businesses and the site is is designed to be able to geotarget to those locations so that you're you know you're not promoting a pizza parlor you know that's only available in Sonoma County to the entire nation. Wow, really really exciting stuff Levi. Uh, talk about the launch date. When can we expect the full version of the site to be up? You know, I'm glad you asked. Uh Pride it's still in its beta version which obviously you can tell the logo has its beta flashy GIF GIF going on, Mm -hmm. but um, I expect Pride to be ready for full functionality within the next month or so. For the most part, there's a few features that we're working on that are really, really cool, and I can't say too much, but um, they are along the lines of, you know, our, like, highlight to share. They're, They're really unique, almost widgets in a way, that will come in our next phase, so I would definitely hope people look out for that, because you kind of will have to discover them um, that's part of the fun of Pride is that it has these unique uh, opportunities for sharing and things like that. But we don't explicitly teach you how to do them, so you kind of have to figure it out. Fantastic. Well, we already have feeds from The Advocate on the front page of our news site, and we will definitely provide links to the new Pride.com as a way for our listeners to interact with folks from all around the world. Levi, congratulations on a really exciting product, and it's always nice to be able to reconnect with Hear Media and find out what you're doing. Thank you so much. I really um, had a lot of fun talking with you today, and we're, we're very excited, too. As well you should. Happy Pride to you. 
You too. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Windsor Santa Rosa Radio 91. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, this month, local author Adrian Brooks published a new book celebrating 100 years of LGBT history and activism. The book is called The Right Side of History. It's a wonderful collection of stories that reveal a history that until recently has been hidden and largely ignored. Adrian Brooks, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be with you. Well, it's really exciting to have you here and to talk about this amazing book. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about what inspired you to write? I think the thing that inspired me to write is my partly my disgust at the uh, conservative right wing in this country and uh, what it's always been doing, which is trying to suppress people and keep them down, not just LGBT people, of course. But uh, African-American people, uh, Hispanic-American people, immigrants, you know, on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. So as a person who was born in 1947, I'm 67 now, I've grown up an activist, and my whole life long, I've been watching Republicans increasingly reactionary, uh, persecute people, and take advantage of people, women, gay people, the poor, the elderly, you name it. If they're vulnerable, the Republicans are after them, you know, with, with, with uh, bared claws. And so my life as an activist has been uh, dedicated as an artist and as a person to trying to use my energy to, um, in, in positive ways. Very fortunately, I've found ways to do that. And so specifically about this book... It grew out of my creative dialogue with a woman named Brenda Knight, who was at the time the publisher of Cleus Press. She and I exchanged lots of creative ideas as friends, and out of that very rare thing in American publishing, which is a, 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 a really uh, personal contact between a publisher and a writer, we cooked up together the idea of this, uh, this, this book, uh, I am the editor, and I contributed to it, but Brenda deserves equal credit for um, uh, nurturing the project along from day one all the way through. Mm. And um, the whole idea was to write a book that not only said that uh, LGBT rights are human rights, but to connect LGBT people beyond issues of gender or gender preference to all kinds of social and political activism in our country, which are true to the founding principles of the country, going all the way back to 1776, and uh, to, to show that LGBT people are, are really carrying out and living up to the original principles of this country, to have equal rights for all, full stop, no equivocation, and no one left out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so before we get into the specific of the different uh, different chapters and, and the different contributors of the book, you mentioned you grew up and really came into being in the 60s and 70s, really at the time when gay people could suddenly become and make themselves visible, but still, you know, a pretty challenging and vulnerable time. 
talk a little bit about your experience making yourself visible. I come from Philadelphia and was raised a Quaker, and, and of all uh, sort of religions that I know in the West, the Quakers are the most open and the most tolerant. So even though homosexuality was never discussed at Quaker meeting, I grew up also in the art world and what I suppose you could call the intelligentsia. So unlike some people who were living in different social circumstances, I was around educated people and people who discussed ideas. Uh, from uh, my earliest years, uh, being aware of McCarthyism, because that was a pervasive fear that stalked the country. When JFK became president and called for volunteerism, I was just an early teenager. Then, of course, being a Quaker and uh, happily being brought up to revere Martin Luther King and Gandhi, just as I did was taught to revere Christ. Those were my three heroes. I just thought Martin Luther King was the greatest thing in the world. So even before the LGBT movement got started in a big way or became visible in a big way, I was a civil rights volunteer for Martin Luther King and was very, very um, out there in the vanguard as an anti-war protester as early as the middle 60s. And that was when it was dangerous. I mean, you know, we were considered traitors. People threw rocks at us, tried to beat us up. And I mean, really beat us up. And uh, so so there was this period of time where uh, the gay movement was not out as such. But the hippie movement, of course, the influence of the Beatles, affected gender norms, how men presented uh, themselves with longer hair, wearing beads or, you know, feathers and bells, for God's sake. And so I was fortunate to be in that first group of people who felt more comfortable challenging the social norms of this country and also truly feeling that we were on the right side of history, Mm -hmm. marching for civil rights, marching against the war. And then it was a very natural step to support women in the women's movement. And then although there was a great deal of uh, homophobia or unease, even on the left, about homosexuality, the crossover did exist, and people of goodwill saw that this was just another example of human rights. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, you know, how history hasn't necessarily progressed in a linear fashion for LGBT civil rights. In fact, there's some comment in the in the book about how the 1920s were probably an easier time for gay folks than, as you mentioned, the Red, the red Scare uh, mm-hmm. or the Lavender Scare, really, mm-hmm. in the 1950s. Talk a little bit about that. How did we go backwards between the 20s and the 50s? Ah, that's a, such a good question. I think that uh, one benefit of urban life was that places, for example, in New York, like Greenwich Village and Harlem, where the black people had the Harlem Renaissance, were much, much more open to people being out. Um, Also, the most important art form of the century, until television came along in the 50s, was film. And in the decades before television swept the world, um, Hollywood and, uh, and Berlin were the film centers of the world. Now, in this country, before the Hayes Code, which was the censorship code, uh, enforced 
strict moral values on what people could see at the movies, things were much more free on, on screen. Gender roles and flirtation between, you know, men and men or women and women or even very sophisticated kinds of interplay were quite acceptable to the American public. Then, when the Hays Code came in with its strict censorship, things started to shut down. Of course, World War II was a life-death struggle, as was the Depression. But after the, the war, when black people came back, uh, from integrated um, uh, service in the in the armed forces, they wanted equality. Gay people had also recognized each other in the ports where they were shipped overseas, San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, and they related to each other more. They didn't necessarily go home. They um, wanted to find safe places to be, like San Francisco was another. So the um, Kinsey Report also came out in 1947, the first Kinsey report on male sexuality, and uh, he demonstrated scientifically that 39% of American men had had homosexual sex to the point of orgasm, and so that being gay wasn't unusual. In fact, it was a perfectly normal part of the human sexual spectrum. However, you know, this country has a tremendous Puritan baggage going all the way back to inception. So, just at the time that Kinsey was showing people that sex was normal, that women had sex before marriage, that, you know, all these things were going on and were perfectly perfectly above board, that Red Scare, anti-communism, the, the first real stirrings of the right wing that plagues our country to today, got started with the founding of the CIA, and the whole thing of government spying on people, making people feel vulnerable if they had socialist sympathies, or accusing people of being communists, ruining careers, uh, blacklisting people. And that shadow, because it really was a shadow, settled over the land with the McCarthy hearings that pervaded the 50s, and the 60s, of course, the generation that I'm happy to have been part of, was a reaction against that. Mm -hmm. the, uh, people of my age were saying, no, we're not going to live in fear of our neighbors or of ideas or even of new states of consciousness. We're willing to listen to unusual music or, you know, look past materialism and try to become more organic and natural people of goodwill. And you interview some really incredible people who have helped shape that history uh, post-Stonewall. Uh, Barney Frank, uh, what a character he is. But you also interviewed my good friend Judy Shepard, and you talked about uh, the murder of Matthew Shepard. And you lived through that. You witnessed that happen in, in that five-day period uh, when there was so much hope that Matthew would survive. Talk a little bit about what you remember from that time period and how that event impacted you. Of course. Well, you know, it's an incredible thing. The day after he was attacked, there was an article in the New York Times about the attack. Uh, maybe it was two days after. He was still alive. But as soon I happened to get the New York Times in, I was living in San Francisco, I was so shocked by what had happened to Matthew Shepard. I couldn't believe it. He was still alive. He was in the hospital. It wasn't revealed the extent of his injury. 
But there was a name in that article, and I, uh, Greg, I can't tell you what it was, but it was an older friend of his who lived in Wyoming who was quoted in the New York Times article. So I just felt so horrified. I felt like throwing up, and I felt I've got to do something. I guess this is just sort of my impulsive activism. So I called information. I got his telephone number, and I called the number in Wyoming, and he actually picked up the phone. And I said, I, I, you don't know me from Adam. I just saw this story, and I feel so terrible about it. Uh, is there anything anybody can do? And he, he said, no, uh, Matthew's in the hospital, and he's not going to survive. Uh, his parents are on the way back from Saudi Arabia, and uh, they're just waiting for them to arrive before they take Matthew off life support. So I said, well, oh God, this is so awful. If you need to get out of Wyoming once this is over, please come and stay at our flat in San Francisco. You'd be welcome. We have a guest room. You know, that's all I can offer. So for me, this was just horrifying, horrible, horrible, mm-hmm. and um, heartbreaking. It still is. Then, of course, as you know, within a few years, the movie Brokeback Mountain came out. And I had... Uh, being my age, it was the first uh, in Brokeback Mountain, you may recall, the character named Jack Twist is beaten to death with a tire iron in a field at the end. And to me, it was an equally significant occasion for the country because the country had never seen a real love story between two men and the viciousness, you know, of, of, of that happened, you know, the killing of one of them, and the, and the damage that it caused. And I think that, too, was a tremendous influence on positive social change in this country. So those things stayed with me as shaping forces, and when I got to write this book, I really wanted to write about hate crimes, and I was so lucky to um, have a wonderful reception from Barney Frank, from other people I interviewed, including Susan Burke at the Matthew Shepard Foundation, who helped me get in touch with Judy. So tell us where we can go to get copies of the book uh, and any websites that you have. I don't have a website. Um, uh, Cleus Press does, of course, uh, C-L-E-I-S Press. It's on Amazon.com. I do have a blog, um, which people can find. I don't write on it so often. People can... Become my friend on Facebook, and uh, I'd be happy to accept people and keep people apprised. But Amazon.com is a, it's also on the uh, front table this month uh, of every Barnes & Noble in the United States. It's been selected that way and honored, for which I'm very grateful. And so between Barnes & Noble and Amazon, it's easily accessible. Fantastic. The book is called The Right Side of History. We've been talking with its author, Adrian Brooks. Adrian, thanks for spending your time with us and for sharing your history. My pleasure. So as we conclude today's 46th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots and mark an anniversary of one of the most significant landmark civil rights decisions of the 21st century so far, I'll conclude tonight with a look back at our tangled history and some of our many struggles. And while this time each year is when we pause to celebrate LGBT pride, I hope each of you will take time every day to celebrate who you are. 
Reflections of the fears I know I've left behind. The homosexuals, most Americans are repelled by the mere notion of homosexuality, is in fact a mental illness. Two out of three Americans look upon homosexuals with disgust, discomfort, or fear. One out of ten says hatred. One never knows when the homosexual is about. This involves showing the gay man pictures of nude males and shocking him with a, a strong electric current. He will be unable to get sexually aroused. They are taught that no man is born homosexual, that it is not genetic in origin, not the result of a hormone imbalance. Rather, they are told that sexual behavior is learned behavior. The average homosexual, if there be such, is promiscuous. He is not interested in nor capable of a lasting relationship like that of a heterosexual marriage. And if we catch you with a homosexual, your parents are going to know about it first. And you will be caught, because this is one thing you cannot get away with. This is one thing that if you don't get caught by us, you'll be caught by yourself. And the rest of your life will be a living hell. Matt Shepard, the gay college student savagely beaten last week in Wyoming, died this morning. Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. How many more gay people does God have to create before we ask ourselves whether or not God actually wants them around? I'm gay. Yeah, I'm gay. Okay. Will Phillips is refusing to pledge allegiance to the flag in his fifth grade classroom until there really is liberty and justice for all. There is a push underway to lift the ban that prohibits gay men from donating blood. Gay men have not been allowed to donate blood since 1985 because of a fear of HIV. It's a policy that some say is way outdated and unnecessary. Homosexual behavior is harmful not only to society but more importantly to the individuals who engage in that behavior. Homosexuals and a are not to be allowed to be registered as, as leaders and, or members of the Boy Scouts of America. How can we, as people who make the laws, say to one small group of our fellow citizens, you know, there's something about you that some people don't like, so you are not eligible for work, you can be fired, you can't get a promotion. I hardly think that bullying is a real issue in schools. Once you meet a little boy named Asher Brown, he lived in Texas, he was 13 years old, and I say was in the past because he shot himself in the head last Thursday. Billy Lucas of Greensburg, Indiana, was just 15 years old when bullying pushed him over the edge. Hi, this is Jamie from Buffalo, New York. I just want to tell you that it does get better. 14-year-old Jamie Rodemeyer took his life Sunday. Let's do this one for Jamie. When government starts to tell us who can love and what is good love. I do have a problem with that. I do. Today I'm announcing my support for a law that gives our same-sex couples in our state the right to receive a marriage license in Washington, the same right given to our heterosexual couples. I believe that a marriage should be between a man and a woman. No offense to anybody out there, but that's how I was raised and that's how I think that it should be between a man and a woman. It was the most controversial state issue on the ballot. You know I'm talking about proposition number eight. There are still a few votes to be counted, but it looks like the measure has passed. If you're for equal rights, why would you get married right now? It's like joining a country club that doesn't allow blacks or Jews. There's no difference. An open statement by a service member that he or she is a homosexual will create a rebuttable presumption that he or she intends to engage in prohibited conduct. I am an infantry platoon leader in the New York Army National Guard, and by saying three words to you today, I am gay, those three words are a violation of Title 10 of the 
the U.S. Code. Lieutenant Dan Choi has been fired from the U.S. military. Should gay couples have the right to adopt in Virginia? Florida Governor Charlie Crist has ordered the state oh, to stop so. enforcing a ban on adoption by gay and lesbian parents. California's ban on same-sex marriage was overturned by a federal judge in San Francisco. On February 12th, an openly gay 15-year-old boy named Larry, who is an 8th grader in Oxnard, California, was murdered by a fellow 8th grader named Brandon. Larry was killed because he was gay. One of the most obnoxious and offensive vestiges of our criminal justice system from another era is the gay panic defense. The idea that if a gay person makes a pass at you and you don't like it, you can fly into a rage, shoot and kill that person, and that's some kind of a defense. We are not a nation that says, don't ask, don't tell. We are a nation that says, out of many, we are one. with something brand new in America today. It is day one. The long controversial don't ask, don't tell policy expired at midnight. Some say domestic partnerships are the same as marriage. That's a version of the discriminatory, separate but equal argument of the past. You are telling Iowans that some among you are second-class citizens who do not have the right to marry the person you love. You can love that person but you can't marry them. That's wrong. It's separate but equal. I can be a second-class citizen. I cannot legally come up with an argument against same-sex marriage. To all of the gay and lesbian kids out there tonight who have been told that they are less than by their churches, or by the government, or by their families, you are beautiful, wonderful creatures of value. Our mission is to reach out and teach people to love and not to hate. When the message out there is so horrible that to be gay you can get killed for it, we need to change the message. Things will get easier. It gets better. The sexual orientation of my parents has had zero effect on the content of that character. I have a dream. We too have a dream. This is done. Bless God and bless the gays. Eyes 33, nays 29. Discrimination in the Boy Scouts. A Missouri Boy Scout. Kicked out of camp for being gay. I was told to leave. Pack your things and go. Hired gay. Teacher fired hire him because he's Another gay. Another attack on the gay community. A nationwide ban on gay men being able to donate blood will likely be upheld. To keep the blood supply safe, I think we should keep the ban on it. Leaving many in the gay community feeling discriminated against. It sort of digs up that whole gay equals HIV. The nation's blood supply is in its worst shortage. There isn't enough blood to go around. The battle for same-sex marriage Continue. Is this an equal rights issue? I lived with and loved the Aspire for more than four decades. We're support biblical families. Marriage is a union of man and woman. We're spending time, energy, and money trying to ban love. As husband and wife. The only way to truly expunge darkness is by exposing it to light. We should be free in America to discriminate against homosexual behavior. It's unnatural. And it's wrong. I don't want homosexuals in my truth. Build a big, large fence. Put all the lesbians in there. Do the same thing with a homosexual. And have that fence electric. In a few years, they'll die. Out. The second you see your son dropping the limp wrist, you rock over there and crack that wrist. Same-sex marriage will be the ultimate destruction of our country. If we don't vote against it, then we are approving these things Free. that are worthy of death. Forty years hung them from a white oak tree. The Bible's against it. God's against it. I'm against it. And if you've got any sense, you're against it. The thing about rights is that you are not supposed to vote on them. That's why they're called rights. When you tell gay Americans that they can marry the person that they love. You're telling that to kids, too. Every pint of blood in America is tested. 
every pint. We can't get married. We don't have the same adoption rights. We get beat up and harassed. When you put minority rights up for a vote, the majority tends to vote against them. This country has a long history of discrimination against certain groups, and eventually we wind up getting it right. Boy Scouts of America approved a resolution. Their ban on gay scouts Exodus. is closing its doors. This ban is not scientifically based any longer. Do not let your self-worth be defined by both. Where's the court that's supposed to stand up for the disenfranchised? What country is this? I am not broken. I believe same-sex couples should be able to do it. I am not confused. Y'all might fall. And I do not need to be fixed. Do you want my blood or don't? Voters are the first These civil rights struggles. I'm over the gay rights movement. Tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, happy Pride, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. I look into the window of my mind Reflections of the fears I know I've left behind Don't forget to download the new KRCB mobile app, now available for your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. You can listen to your favorite KRCB radio show, like Outbeat, from anywhere in the world with internet access. Stay connected to KRCB by downloading our mobile app now at the iPhone and Android App Store. You're listening to KRCB FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa, Radio 91. Online all the time at krcb.org. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Open Space District is next.